Well, let's take our Bibles this evening, if you will. Let's go to the book of Galatians, okay, for our text uh, for this evening. And be Galatians chapter 6, okay? Galatians chapter number 6, where we'll be uh, this evening. As on Sunday nights, we're going through some questions you guys have either asked uh, directly or indirectly kind of thing, just talking with, with individuals about different certain uh, things they may be dealing with or whatever. But just questions you guys have given. And again, if you like this kind of, of study, uh, just be reminded that if you have some questions, I encourage you to write them down on the uh, Bible question half sheet of paper or whatever out there in the lobby and turn them in, all right? We'll try to answer them best we can. Of course, if they're too hard, I'll give them to Kenny, let him answer them. But, uh, but I do encourage you to turn them in. We want to try to answer these questions you may have either about the Bible, a portion of Scripture or whatever, or if you have a question of life you want an answer to from the Bible. So we want to try to do that for you. And, uh, and so if you like this kind of study, keep asking those questions, and I'll try to continue uh, doing this for the foreseeable future. Unless you stop asking questions, we'll do something different, all right? But, uh, but anyway, so, so anyways, keep this in mind. We're doing this on Sunday evenings. Now, if you remember a few Sunday evenings ago, we looked at a question that was asked, and it's this one. What happens when a believer sins? And, of course, we tried to answer that question from the Word of God. We took two main points to it, and we took note that there, uh, there's this when it comes to believers. When they sin, there can be, number one, there can be consequences, right? Uh, we know that we can choose our sin, but we cannot choose our consequence. We understand that, and we know that. And there are consequences that, uh, depending on what we have done, of course, that is, that can follow us the rest of our lives. When a believer sins, consequences of, of our sins, such as, well, if you kill somebody, you're going to jail. Probably rest of your life, if not face the death penalty yourself, right? It's a consequence of that action. And so we understand that. So there's consequences that can happen to believers when, when we choose to sin. But there's also this. Thank God there's cleansing. I'm thankful that we can be clean again. I'm thankful that the Bible still says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, the Bible says in 1 John 2, verse 1 through 2, My little children, uh, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm thankful that we have an advocate. His name's Jesus. And I'm thankful he cleanses us from all sin. So yes, there's consequences, but there's cleansing. But when we answer this, or try to answer it from the Bible, that question, that at least that is, there arose another one along the same lines, but with this kind of direction. Uh, knowing that we can be forgiven and cleansed from our sin, how can I help somebody else see that truth? Uh, how can I help someone who is struggling knowing that, that individual knew, knowing they're struggling in a, in a certain situation of life, how can I help them to overcome it? How can I help them to be, uh, to come back to the Lord? How can I just, how can I help them? I just want to be a help to them. And basically what this individual is asking is this, how can I help restore this fellow, this lady, who at one time, no doubt, may have been on fire for God and serving the Lord, but have been overtaken or caught up 
and some kind of fault or sin or whatever it may be, how can I help them come back to God? It's a great question. And uh, it's a great desire to see that somebody has that, that desire in them to help an individual who may have fallen, as we say. Someone who may have, as the Bible says, though overtaken in a fault. Uh, to see that desire in the individual, that's a blessing and encouragement to see. Because it's something we all should desire to do to help restore a fellow brother or sister in the Lord. And so to answer that question, how do we do that? Well, let's go to Galatians chapter 6, all right? Because Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter number 6. And we'll read verse 1 and 2 for tonight, but we'll mainly land in verse number 1, all right, for tonight's uh, answering this question. So look at it with me, Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Our fathers, we look to your word tonight. I pray you to help us as believers today to see the great importance of restoring a fellow brother or sister in Christ. We know no doubt of many that may be just out of fellowship with God walking in a guilty distance. Lord, help us. Help us to be spirit-filled people. In the spirit of meekness, restore such a one. God, help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so from this text, especially in verse number one, I want to see a few different things as we consider restoring a fallen brother or sister in Christ, all right? So number one, take note of this. Take note of the casualty, all right? Number one, the casualty. Now, when we read this text here, who is Paul talking about exactly? Who is the casualty that he may be talking about or at least comes to mind when he's speaking of restoration? Well, we get the idea, the one he's talking about, from the very first word in verse number one. And what is the first word in verse number one? Say it on the count of three. One, two, three brethren all right he's talking about brethren now i love this word just so you know this is a fantastic bible word that's full of wonderful truth that you and i are brethren because in this word it carries with it communion and community it carries with it togetherness bound by a a, a bound by a godly love a sacrificial love of our savior and it is brethren, it's togetherness, it's a hope, it's a community. And listen, it is this mutual respect and assistance that is behind this wonderful word we know as brethren. So in the context of who Paul is talking about, uh, to, to help the one who is overtaken in a fault, to help them be restored, he is talking about someone from the family of God. And, of course, we can get even more specific as he's talking about somebody that's part of the local church or local churches there in the area of Galatia uh, who, was, who was overtaken in a, in a fault. But we're going to go with application purposes for the family of God as, as a whole, all right, as born-again born believers as, as a whole. So just know that as a whole, as a family of God, we're in the same family and have the same heavenly Father and one day we'll live in the same heavenly home. So listen, we might as well get to liking each other now because you're going to be living with each other for a long time, okay? But he's talking about the family of God. 
And so the casualty that Paul is addressing is someone who's a brother or sister in the Lord. And then he says this. He gives another hint to who it might be. When he says this, brethren, if a man. He says, if a man. So not only does Paul mention that the individual was who has fallen as part of the family of God, he also mentions that he is a man. Now, ladies, before you get too excited uh, to think that you have found your biblical proof text to, to know that the problems you face is because of the man, uh, that's not what he's speaking of here, all right? <laughs> I know what you're thinking. It's always the man's fault. It's always the man's fault. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is not your biblical proof text for that, okay? He's not talking about male here. He's talking about mankind here. He's talking about all human beings. You see, all human beings have a common thread, whether saved or, or lost. We have a common, a common thread. You say, what is that? Well, the Bible says we all deal with this, the flesh, you see. All mankind deals with a fallen sinful nature. And since we have this fallen sinful nature, we all face the common temptations that can cause all of us to be overtaken in a fault. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, mankind. So be reminded we are all made of the same dirt. We're all capable of the same faults and failures and we have the same capability to be overtaken in a fault. All mankind does. Why? Why would we bring this up? Why would he point out, he's talking about the, like the brethren, the family of God. Why would we point out that he's talking about mankind as well, pointing out the, the flesh and all that? Why, why is that even important? Well, I believe it's important to point that out because of this word. It gives us perspective. It's good to have perspective, you see. It gives us perspective. You see, the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Paul, is letting us know that when we're dealing with a family member who's part of the family of God, we're dealing with the brethren and at the same time dealing with someone who is part of the, the human family as far as human being that he is, that they're the same people, same person who has the same kind of passions, desires, and urges, and potential faults that we all do. And since we, we are looking at an individual like that, then with this perspective, it should help us to do this, to consider thyself also, lest also be tempted. So when it comes to restoration, this is what we're talking about. It's not just the old nasty sinner that messed up or I knew he would do that, no good rascal. No, that's not the perspective of the casualty we're trying to paint here. You're talking about a family member of the family of God. That's what I'm trying to get at with this. Understand who he's pointing to and talking about Someone that you're going to spend eternity with, they mess up? Probably, yes. But you're still going to live with them in heaven forever. We should do all, our can, all we can to help them. So take note, number one, <clears throat> of the casualty. Number two, I want to take note of this, all right? The crime. What do you mean by that? Well, look again at verse number one. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So he says, if a man be overtaken in a fault. Now this word fault here carries the idea of falling aside or it carries the idea of trespassing or, as we would say, it's a sin. And this trespass could be a breach in either God's law, some kind of moral law failure or falling away even. 
from, from the truth. Now, what could be this sin or this fault that uh, Paul is, is getting at? What is that trespass against, against God? Well, when you compare this word here in this text, fault, to the immediate context of the previous chapter in Galatians chapter 5, you will see some of the works of the flesh that he points out. Of course, in verses 19 through 21 of chapter 5, you can see those works of the flesh. And no doubt, those would be some breach and uh, moral failure, of course, and most definitely breaking God's law. But is that what he's getting at? I mean, the fault in this context here, it could be referring back to that. And, and of course, if a brother or sister has committed this fault, and yes, we should try to restore them, but there's another indication of what this fault could be. It could be that this fault was one, as he's again pointing to believers, it could be the fault that a saved individual who, has, who is belong, or who does belong, did belong to the churches in Galatia, but yet they gave heed to the false teaching of the Judaizers. Remember, we went through this book together some time back on Wednesdays and the Judaizers had come down to the area of Galatia and began to creep into these churches teaching another gospel, a gospel of adding works to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And of course, that's no gospel of, at all. You see, the gospel is the finished work of Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing, right? They're adding to it. And Paul called it another gospel. But these individuals, it could be that some of these brethren who are not as familiar with Scripture or maybe even with the teaching of the Apostle Paul, maybe they didn't have as strong a faith in the Lord as others, maybe they fell victim to that teaching and they were overtaken in that fault. So the fault could be the crime, if you will. The fault could be that's the giving heed to the teaching of another gospel. And I say that because the word where it says overtaken, you see this word overtaken, it simply means, uh, gives the idea of being taken beforehand or taken by surprise. Uh, who here loves when somebody jumps out and scares you by surprise? You love it, right? Yeah. If you do that to me, I'm going to ball up. I recommend you duck. It's, it's just a natural reaction. You scare me, I'm going to, okay, I'm just saying, all right? That's what it means, kind of be overtaken. Just surprise, came out of nowhere. Didn't expect it. That's what it, that's what un, that's what it means, taken unexpectedly. And to be overtaken in the fault is something I didn't see coming. And maybe that's what he's getting at. Some of these brethren here in the church of Galatia didn't anticipate, of course, this teaching coming down the line and they were overtaken. And, of course, this overtaking is something that's quite different than, than diving headfirst in some kind of fault or sin or trespass deliberately or, or, or some kind of premeditated practice of sin, if you will. It's, this is a little different. This you didn't see coming. This you didn't anticipate. He was overtaken. So no doubt these Galatian believers didn't anticipate the Judaizers and the false teachers coming in, didn't recognize them even at the very beginning as, as false teachers. And by the way, it's how false teachers work. They creep in unawares, blend in, as in the, with the sheep even though they're wolves in sheep's clothing, you see. And they creep in unawares. And so since these false teachers are sneaky in their infiltration, no doubt they'll be sneaky in their indoctrination as well, and so that could be, that could be what it was that overtook these individuals and the fault. They're caught off guard, taken by surprise, and overtaken. Still, nonetheless, the fault of the brethren here that was being overtaken in the fault 
It could be, yes, it could have been the false teaching that was being taught by these Judaizers. Or it could be of some kind of moral failure if you look back in chapter number, number 5. But whether it is or not, still the fact remains they were overtaken in a fault. Either by false teaching or falling into sin. But what are we to do? Well, we know they messed up. What are we to do? Well, number three, look at this. I want to see our conduct. Our conduct to the fallen brother or sister in the Lord. Let me ask you a question. If you're saved this evening, say amen. amen. All right. I'm going to go out and say that everybody here said amen. All right. So if you're saved, then that means saved people should be different. Yes? Okay. The Bible says that pretty plainly in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become, become new. There should be, there is, and there should be a difference in our lives. It should be seen. It should be seen in how we interact with people and especially, listen, especially how we interact with God's people. Listen, it should be seen how we treat each other in the Lord. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. But listen to what Paul says. He says, especially unto them of the household of faith. So let me ask you, <clears throat> how are we to conduct ourselves when it comes to a brother overtaken in a fault? How are we to treat others when it's obvious they're overtaken? Are we to ignore them? Are we to criticize them? Are we to withdraw from them, shame them, censor them, dismiss them, isolate them, spread rumors about them, slander them, all while speaking Christianese and adding a few bless their hearts to the equation? <laughs> is that what we're to do? And after all, this is no doubt what the Judaizers would have done during this day. The Pharisees would have done during this, during this day, these Judaizers would not have been kind. They would not have been graceful. They would not have been merciful. You can get a little bit of a taste of the Judaizers and the Pharisees themselves when you read other portions of Scripture. In the, book, in the book of John, it says this in John 8, verse 3 through 6, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. I always had a problem with that. When they said it called her the very act because they only brought the woman. Takes two to tango? Okay. Where's the dude at? Anyway, all right. Could the dude have been a Pharisee? Okay, moving on. Now I'm throwing stones. All right. But it says, <clears throat> taking in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? <laughs> this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. You see, this is what they want to do. This is how they, they act. They're not graceful. They're not merciful whatsoever. They're not kind. No, not at all. That's how the Judaizers or the Pharisees were. It's how they would treat people. And no doubt the Judaizers in the book of Galatia would have done the same. Folks, listen, too many times as believers we can behave the same way. Even us Baptist folk can be too quick to cast away, to cast condemnation, to turn our backs instead of opening up with a leading hand. Now, don't get me wrong. I do understand com completely that we are responsible for our own actions. I get that. 
And we are accountable ourselves to the Lord for our own decisions. We cannot make someone do something they do not want to do. I cannot make somebody have a conversation with the pastor, though I try often and very diligent to do so. I can't make them talk to me. And you can't make people do the same to you. Which, by the way, is the hardest thing in part of being a, being a pastor is, is the waiting process and the restoration. The waiting, man, it's hard. It's hard. Sometimes you just have to do that. But anyways, we understand that everybody that makes their decisions, they got to stand on two feet. I get that. But at the same time, the same time, when a fellow believer is down, overtaken in the fall, desiring, I think that's a key word, desiring to be restored, I believe if someone's willing and desiring to be restored, and listen, we don't need to kick, the, kick our own while they're down. We don't need to push their head further under the water. They don't need to need help drowning in their own sorrow, okay? No, they need help to be lifted up. We need to restore such a one. Now, I do love this word here in verse number one, restore. It's a great word. It means to mend, to repair, to put in order. It means to arrange and to strengthen, all right? Uh, that, that, all that's coupled together within this word restore. And to get a good mental picture uh, of this word restore, let me, let, me, let me give you some illustrations about it, all right? Let me ask you a question. Anybody here ever broken a bone? Anybody broken a bone before? I have too. I've broken the collarbone, a couple of fingers and other things. But, but I, I've been told over a period of time, after, after the bone does begin to heal, that bone is just as strong, if not stronger, as it was before, but it's definitely this, after it heals, that bone is just as useful as before. Let me ask you another question. Who here loves to fish? Hey, my aunt, that's my people, all right? I love to fish as well. Now, growing up, I, I grew up on a carp, a carp, uh, carp lake, and, and of course, those fish, you can't just lift them on the bank, and you can't just uh, you can't just flip them over on the bank with a fishing rod unless you want to break your rod every time, because some of those are quite big, all right? So we had to use a net and to land the fish. And after catching a lot of fish, whether it be carp or catfish, whatever, and especially the bigger ones, uh, over time their, their fins will begin to wear out the net. And you'll, you'll find yourself with a big hole in the net. And when you're catching, uh, you've got a big fish on the line, the last thing you want is a hole in the net, all right? So what do you do, though? What do we do with that, with that net? It's got a hole in it. Do you just chuck it and throw it away? Well, you can. But if you're like me, growing up, you didn't have a lot of money. And besides, if you have money, you're not going to spend it on a net. You want to spend it on lures. Amen. All right? You want to, you want to spend more money on, on, on tackle. And so what you would do, you just you mend it. You, you fix it. You restore that net. And so that's what you do. You, you take some other um, twine, or, or, or really you would, you would take some kind of uh, stronger cordage, and, uh, and, fix that, and fix that hole within, within the net. And yes, when you look at that net, you'll see where it's been mended, where it's been fixed, and there'll be a, a scar, if I can say it that way, in the net. But yet, that net is still useful. You can still use it. You didn't care about the scar. Why? Because it still landed those fish for you. Listen, this is one of the reasons behind the restoration be useful, to continue to be used of the Lord in a big way. Yes, there are some scars on that restored individual, but, though, but that restored individual can come back stronger even from it and be used 
of the Lord. Restore, mend it. Help restore a fellow brother or sister in the Lord. Restoration is a beautiful thing. And it should be a goal when we see someone overtaken in a fall. But there is a wrong way and a right way to go about it. So number four, I want to see this. I want to see our course of action. All right? Look again at verse number one. See what the Bible says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are, what's the next word? Ye which are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of, what's that word? Meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Listen, when someone's overtaken in a fault, Please know it can be a very delicate matter. You see, the individual could be sensitive to that fault or even embarrassed by it, ashamed of it, of course, and maybe feel hopeless because of the fall from it. Maybe the individual could feel even unwelcome or because of what he has done, maybe to the damage to his own reputation, the damage to, to a reputation of a church or even of, of the Lord's name himself. Maybe he feels ashamed about it and unwelcome because of all the damage he has caused. So it can be a delicate situation, you see. But what's the course of action to help someone that's overtaken? How can we approach someone in the right spirit? Well, it says this. Number one, we must be spiritual. Ye which are spiritual. Now, what does it mean to be spiritual? Does this mean that we are in some kind of, um, I don't know, spiritual trance when we go up to them? You know? uh, is, that, is that what that means? Does this mean that we are very versed in Christianese and whatever as we talk to them? Does that mean we only have to speak to them in the King James Version? English, you know, that kind of thing. Is that, is that what it means to be spiritual? No. What does it mean? Well, to define what it means to be spiritual and be a spiritual person, and we must go to the context surrounding chapter 6 and verse number 1. And to do so, you've got to back up a few verses into chapter number 5 and see who a spiritual person is. Look at verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In verse 25, if we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. So a spiritual person is someone who is walking in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Meaning walk step in step with the Lord. Like if there's a snowstorm when you were a kid and trying to get through that snowstorm, you would step in the footsteps of your parent as you follow them, right? That's what it means to be in step with the Lord. To walk in the spirit. And evidence of that, of a spiritual person, no doubt is going to find that evidence in verse 22 of chapter 5. Here it is. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Uh, listen, is this type of person who is exemplifying this type of spirit really exemplifying the character of Christ, it is that to that spirit that a repentant, backslidden brother or sister will respond to. They respond to someone who is full of the Holy Spirit and who, who is bearing and showing the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, 
joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. They respond to that spirit of meekness over one that points the finger and says, I told you so. <laughs> We're talking about restoration. If you want to help restore a fallen brother or sister, walk in the spirit and be spiritual, and that's how you will help them. There's so much more we could say to that, but I want to see this lastly, number five. I want to see the consideration, meaning this, meaning consider yourself because, listen, what if the tables were turned and you were the one needing help? You were the one needing restored. How would you want someone to treat you? What would you want them to do for you if you were overtaken in a fault? And before we get all high and mighty and say, listen, I would never be overtaken in a fault. I would never do this. I will never fail. I will. Okay. Before we get there, let me remind you of this great truth in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thanketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You see, I go back to what we said in the very beginning. We're all made of the same dirt. We're all capable of the same faults. Consider yourself also. So how do we restore them? Well, first, we must be walking with the Lord in step, be spiritual, and do it in the right spirit. Understand we can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. But when that person finally comes to their senses, like the prodigal son in the, in the book of Luke, he says he came to himself. When they finally come to themselves, make sure they know who to come home to because of how you have treated them in the spirit of meekness. And they will come back when they come to themselves. Come back to you. Say, hey, can you help me? So many times, I can't tell you how many times over the years. been preaching now for 20 years. This, this coming June will be 20 years and that I've seen. I would give a warning at potential seeing where folks were, where they were going, what they were doing. And I said, hey, look, I'm just concerned about you. and just want to let you know that I love you. I'm here for you. and just concerned that you might be going down the wrong path. And after giving them a warning kind of thing, lovingly, of course, I always try to. And they continue on that, down that path, and they finally come to themselves. Here's what they do. It's, it's, it happens a lot. They'll come back with some of the broken pieces. And they'll say, preacher, you were right. But can you help me fix it? <laughs> and I always say, yes, of course, I'll help you fix it. I'll try but I'm thankful they do that. You know why? Because they know they can always come back. Always try to leave a door open. I don't want to close it in their face and say, don't let the door hit you with a good lower split you, you know. <laughs> That's not the spirit of meekness. I want to help restore people. I want to help people. But you must leave a door open. And the way to do that is be spiritual. Walk with the Lord. And in the spirit of meekness. Now again, meekness is not weakness. No, it's strength under control. You know this. We've talked about that before. As we considered Moses and he was the meekest man on all the earth. But yeah, he was no sissy whatsoever. You know that. But strength under control. 
That's how we help restore such a one. Because you never know what they may be going through. You just never know when they'll finally, God will use something in their life to turn their hearts back to him and be restored to fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with the family of God too. So that's how we do it. Being spiritual in the spirit of meekness. Look at it again, verse number one. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest also be tempted. Our fathers, we looked at this scripture this evening. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be restorers. No doubt we have folks in our hearts and minds tonight. We know they're away from the Lord. But we know there's always hope. As there's breath in the body, there's hope for that soul. And I pray 